Hi. Have you ever been driving along, thinking you're knowing where you're going, and you make a wrong turn off, and everything starts to look very strange and confusing? I've been overwhelmed at such times. Of course, the answer is to reach for a map. Maps work for finding locations, and they also work for finding solutions to conflict. So, this is skill number eight: mapping the conflict. It's from our book "Everyone Can Win" about handling conflict constructively. Mapping the conflicts about how to lay down a clear picture of the relevant needs and fears of everyone involved in an issue. So that your solutions can be more wide-ranging and more inclusive. At Conflict Resolution Network, we developed this process in 1986, and we've been using it constantly ever since. It describes the conflict situation graphically, but it's not theoretical. It leads towards new solutions. Mapping puts the spotlight on everybody's motives. So that you can consider what's really driving the conflict. Have you ever had a conflict and felt like this? I'm confused. There are just too many factors, and I don't know where to start. Or I'm stuck. There seems to be no way out and no way round. Something else is going on here. Some hidden agenda. Whatever is it, or perhaps nothing I do seems to fix this. It's hopeless. It's a personality clash. It's moments like these when we need maps. Maps give a clear picture. They show how things relate to each other, and they help us discover things that we might not have seen before. When all the factors are doing your head in. The process of mapping can help you organize your thoughts. When you've got a serious unresolved conflict, your thoughts are going to jump all over the place. You'll be mentally rehearsing your case over and over. Ten thousand times, you'll go over in your mind why you're right and they're wrong, and why it's so unfair and why it's so unjust. And none of it really helps. You need to calm this whirlpool. Sit down by yourself or with a trusted friend and begin the process of mapping. It'll help you step away from being embroiled in the issue and see what's really going on. Mapping is particularly helpful for complex conflicts, where there's quite a number of people involved directly or a number who are indirectly affected. Once you've taught yourself the principles. You can help others involved in a conflict make a map together. The process works especially well in problem-solving meetings. It creates a common, unified vision that includes everyone. And somewhere in that process, a magical transition is very likely to sneak in. While they're looking at their map and working on it together, people seem to shift from just being opponents. Towards becoming problem-solving partners. In the next episode, we'll go into detail about how you use your map to design more inclusive solutions together. But a good map is a great first step for that. So let's look into this method more closely. The first step in mapping is to back off conflicting solutions and all the emotions involved.
You might remember the story about the orange from the first conflict resolution skill win-win approach. Here's a brief summary. You're in the kitchen with the person you live with and you both want the one and only orange left in the bowl. What should you do? Toss a coin, cut it in half. When we explore why you each need the orange, these two solutions turn out to be something less than our best options. Okay, what's the need? You say, I'm thirsty, I want to make juice. And the other person says, I'm baking a cake, I want the rind. Well, it may not be possible for each of you to get your own way, having the whole orange, but it may be possible for each of you to satisfy your underlying needs. Exploring the underlying needs leads to solutions where both people get what or more of what they want. It preserves relationships and we open up the possibilities for some creative thinking. So, mapping is about finding out the major needs and concerns of the people involved. You ask why each person needs what they're saying that they want. The emotions all about that are still there, of course, but they've been clouding this underlying picture. When you want to get clear, Move off solutions and explore the needs behind them. When people want their way and they're not listening to others, mapping out the needs helps you find ways to come up with some new win-win solutions. It's orderly and systematic. It acknowledges the emotions, but it tones down their heat because it acknowledges their cause, the needs that are driving the conflict. People are motivated to move towards what they do want, their needs, and motivated to move away from what they don't want, their fears. Sometimes the fear is just about not getting their needs met. But quite often, when you ask people about their fears, some extra issues emerge. Sometimes those fears are not too rational, but nonetheless they are affecting how people respond. So if we go back to that last orange in the kitchen, you might have an underlying fear of being seen as greedy or inconsiderate if you take it. So for the purposes of mapping really clearly, we like to separate out these underlying fears as well. So when we do a map, we're deciding how to name the issue, who it affects, and their needs and fears. You can certainly do a map by yourself, but you're probably going to have to use quite a bit of guesswork. So, if you can, develop the map with the people directly involved in the issue. Let's say you're working on a large sheet of paper. Step one. What's the problem? You want a label for your map. You might put it right in the middle of your page. It's the issue expressed in just a word or two and in broad terms. Don't go deep yet. Just name the general area that's at issue and use neutral or unemotional words. Mapping lays all the emotions aside and plots the general terrain. You might be thinking the issue is Bob at work who's not doing his fair share. But don't write that down. Don't write, oh, how Bob is not doing his fair share because it's not neutral. It's emotive. Bob, if he's present, will be immediately upset. Perhaps the label you might write down instead is workload distribution. 
So far, your Bob is good with that. He'll be able to participate without being immediately on the defensive. Perhaps you're making a map because there's a personality clash. The relationship has deteriorated and there's lots of issues. Play it safe and be general. Your best label might simply be communication. At home, where the problem is who does the washing up or the kids are not keeping their room tidy, perhaps name the issue as washing up or household chores. If neighbours are fighting over their rights during a new build, the topic might be amicable relations. You just need the general topic. As well as being neutral, your label shouldn't point to any solution. Mapping's not about destinations, it's about the roads you must travel. So don't write down a yes-no or an either-or choice. Not will you or won't you erect a privacy screen. Perhaps how buildings affect each other. And not who should do the washing up, Emma or Oscar. Perhaps just dinner routines. And that might be broad enough to include all the work that you're doing beforehand to get the meal on the table. Keep your map definition really neutral. Don't imply any solutions there. When you're doing your map with other people, have a brief discussion about the label and get an agreement on the broad topic you're meeting about. Don't get anxious about whether or not it's exactly right. Simply write down the general area of the topic to be mapped. Write the label that you've decided on right in the centre of your page or board. And not too large. There's lots of other things that will circle around it as you move along. So then we come to step two, who is involved. Decide who the major parties are. You might list each individual separately, perhaps each member of the family or the team. And you might group some of them under one name, as long as the people involved share the same needs on the issue. For example, that might be sales staff or management or clients or the public or the local council. A mixture of both individuals and groups is just fine. Give each a heading with their name and spread them out around the outer edges of your page. Who gets up on your map is quite specific to the problem itself. So let's pretend for a moment that you're mapping a new university policy to do with ratios on foreign to local students in class. If the issue was just an internal matter to do with workloads, the parties involved might be your overseas students, your local students, and perhaps particular teachers. But if it has bigger implications with the public, you'd better include in your map the university dean, maybe the board of directors, and perhaps the media or a government department. In this situation, they all have a stake and their needs will also be influencing any decisions that you make. So they need a place on the map. If you're mapping two people having a clash in the office, you might list the two people separately, but you might be able to put the rest of the team together in one segment, as long as their needs around that clash are substantially the same. Perhaps you decide it's wise to include the manager separately. So, you ask yourself who's involved or affected by the conflict and give them spaces spread around the map. 
And then comes step three, finding out what do they need and what do they fear. You're separating out the various motivations behind the issues. And now you're into the real nitty-gritty of mapping. You're mapping the dynamics. With this big picture completed, you'll widen your range of options. For each person or group that you've written down, make a subheading, Needs, under which you're going to list all of their relevant needs. And when that's done, make another subheading below, Fears, and there you'll list their fears. We just headed fears for simplicity. It can include a whole bag of worries. Generally, you'll first ask about needs and list them, and then you'll move on to fears. But sometimes while you're working through them, you might need to jump backwards and forwards a little bit between your two subheadings. But keep it simple, short dot points, not whole sentences. Needs, using this term lightly, could mean wants or values or interests or the things the person or the group cares about. Simply ask the question, what are your major needs in this? And perhaps, which of your needs around this are not being met? Needs could include things like this, satisfying and secure work, a tidy desk or house, being allowed to make a mess. My mother always relabeled a mess work in progress. Other needs might include having everything legal and above board, to work in a quiet place, privacy, amicable relations, and the list goes on. The particular issue is going to determine what's relevant. And you don't need absolutely every side street on your map, but you do need all the main roads. For example, the need behind a tidy desk might be efficiency. I'd probably call that a main road. Sometimes the same need applies to several or all of the players. And it can be worthwhile to repeat the need under each heading to reveal how much the people actually have in common. You could even underline it in the same colour everywhere it appears to point that up. The term fears is just a shorthand label. It can include any relevant concerns, anxieties or worries. The person doesn't have to be mortally terrified for it to go up on your map as a fear. And also, you don't need to debate whether or not that fear is realistic before it's listed. For example, you might have a fear about something your rational mind knows is very unlikely to happen. Yet the fear still lurks underneath, wanting to be recognised. One of the real benefits of mapping might be the opportunity to air some irrational fear and have it acknowledged on the map. Sometimes you can dig deeper. If you sense excessive concern, for example, when someone says their fear is not getting their work done, probe a bit underneath that. What might be really bad about that? Or what's the fear there? And they might say, being seen as inadequate or inefficient, or damaging my reputation. Fears are acknowledged by mapping. So, some fears that might get included could be failure and loss of face, or doing the wrong thing, or financial insecurity, or being rejected or disliked or unloved, feeling unsafe in a relationship, being unprotected, losing control, getting stressed loneliness, being judged or criticised, uninteresting work or being ordered around or paying too much. My goodness, we can be anxious about a lot of things. 
This fears category can draw out motivations that don't surface when you only ask about people's needs. For example, fear of failing may in fact be their primary motivator, but if you only ask what you need, you won't uncover that. As a need, all they could say is something like, I need to be successful, but that might not be the real issue. It will pop up immediately, however, when you ask, what are you concerned about? Do take the time to list the fears as well as the needs. On the other hand, if you have adequately covered a fear by expressing it as a need, for example, to know he's safe, you don't need to write it a second time, being worried about his safety, for instance. It's really the same thing as to know he's safe. For the purposes of mapping, it's up there under needs. If it's mentioned again as you're going through the fears list, you could just underline it where it's written already. a real map that came up in a workshop. A woman was unhappy because her neighbour wanted to build a high brick fence between their properties. The plan was about to go to council for approval. She came to a conflict resolution course feeling very angry and helpless, and others in the course had started off siding strongly with the woman about how horrible the neighbour was and making suggestions about how she could make it difficult for him but they joined with her in mapping the situation. Once the map was complete, she felt far less angry and helpless, and her fellow participants also saw the value of mapping the needs rather than immediately seeking a solution. After the map, they were concerned about the neighbours' fears as well as how the woman could help both herself and him. She left the workshop, deciding that rather than bickering any more from their respective gardens, she'd invite her neighbour in for a cup of tea and get to know him a little better. She didn't think she'd repeat the mapping process with him directly, but she'd start a conversation so he could clarify his needs to her and she'd let him know that she understood and cared about his point of view. Before doing the mapping exercise, she couldn't think about his issues. She'd girded herself up with her own indignation and she really hadn't thought through how to get him to respect her problems. But after drawing up the map, she was much clearer about what her own needs were, and she felt she could tell him about them much more clearly. She just called her map The Fence. She had just two people listed on the page, herself and her neighbour. And what she'd written down was this. Her needs, open space her property left intact to maintain its property value, and to have good communications and a friendly relationship with her neighbour. She'd listed her fears as being boxed in and isolated, paying towards something she didn't want, reprisals if he didn't get what he wanted. She was worried about having to look at a brick wall and about losing her rose bushes while the fence was being erected. They were right on her boundary. In the workshop, we all had to guess about her neighbour's needs, but we wrote down this. Privacy, security, to keep his dogs enclosed, and he needed his neighbour's cooperation and communication too. And his fears were listed as losing his dogs, or the dogs being a nuisance to the neighbour, worried about burglary, we had a question mark there, 
and not handling social contact well. I really hope that cup of tea happened between them and that they did acknowledge each other's needs together and went on to build some really creative solutions. She'd certainly laid the groundwork for that to happen. Next, let's look at how you steer a mapping process with other people. Perhaps you're leading them through building up a map together. It's a great process for making sure that everyone feels that their issues are being acknowledged. And it helps people step aside from their emotions and see the other people's point of view. Here's what you're going to need to keep in mind. You'll keep the focus on the needs and fears of all the parties until the map is complete. And don't get sidetracked into background stories or explanations or solutions. Quickly and as politely as you can, just get back to the map. Stick doggedly to what are the needs, what are the fears. Be a broken record. Focus only on one person at a time. Do both their needs and their fears before you move on to the next person. Of course, if they later think of something they forgot, you can still briefly add it in. Ask the group what would absent people say that their needs and their fears are. For example, you might think a person needs to communicate more, but they probably wouldn't say that as their need. They're more likely to say that their need is to have quiet time or to have longer to think things through. Be conscious that you're only guessing what another person needs. So focus on what they'd be most likely to say if they were asked. And that's what you write down. So you're often doing a bit of clarifying and vetting. For example, you might need to check carefully who really has the need. The way we often say things can confuse this. For instance, if you were to write down on their list, they need to be more understanding. That's not actually about their needs at all. It's about yours. You could put it on your own list. You might put under your name to be understood. What they might need is something quite different. They might need more information so that they can understand you better. When in doubt, ask, whose need is this? They need to be more considerate is about my need to be cut some slack or not be corrected for tiny errors. Handle digressions by going back to the needs. When mapping the needs and fears, it's important not to allow participants to start suggesting solutions just then. Don't allow questions like, why don't you try? Or have you thought of doing? That's for later, once the map's complete. Don't spend time on long background stories. They're not necessary to do an effective map and they can often colour the picture unnecessarily. So go to current needs as soon as possible. It's one of the great advantages of mapping. People are drawn away from the past and back into present time. Avoid why did you questions. Don't allow questions that cause people to defend or justify what they did. Clarify the legitimate needs behind a hidden agenda. You may get a sense that there are hidden needs and concerns, such as a particular advantage for one party if a problem solved one way and not another way. Commissions, bonuses, getting the credit, recognition, time out 
are some of the advantages that people quite like to keep hidden. Legitimise these by including them on the map. It's okay for people to want such things as their authority or their contributions being recognised and respected. A common unexposed payoff is the need to save face. Treat these hidden agendas with compassion and consideration. If they do get up on the map, the decisions that you ultimately come up with can lend more support to such needs, and then everyone's more likely to stick to the new agreement. Occasionally, mapping just goes off at a tangent. You're in the midst of charting one person's needs and fears, and another person interrupts and launches into their issues. How are you going to handle that interruption? Demonstrate that it's okay that they're emotional and that it's also okay that they don't fully understand the process yet. And then extract one of their needs or fears from what they are saying and put it up in their place on the map. And then ask whether it would be all right to return to where you were in the mapping process. This keeps the process orderly and it respects their outburst. Many people, when asked what they need, reply with a solution. They think that's their need. I need him to ring me when he's going to be late. But him ringing is just one option. Clarify by asking what need of yours will that meet? The underlying need could be to know that he's safe. There actually are a variety of solutions that could meet that need. If anyone comes up with very general words such as respect, acknowledgement or understanding, these are rather intangible. So it's good to probe deeper. So, for example, if the word recognition comes up, you might ask from whom or of what. Include in the map answers such as recognition from my manager for the extra work I do. So, for those intangible needs... Ask, how would you know if that need is being met? What would you need in order to get this? You may also find some of these questions useful if the discussion starts to move off target. Perhaps they interrupt with, oh, we ought to be doing X, Y, Z. You might ask, what needs would that option meet? Or perhaps, what benefits do you see if we do do X, Y, Z? Or Tell me more about why that could be a good answer. And what you're looking for there is to uncover the needs underneath. And then you're back on track. Here's another map. It's about a problem in a company's reception area. A section supervisor was particularly uncomfortable about confronting her receptionist receptionist was taking so much time off that other members of the staff had to cover for her too frequently. The receptionist was a single mum and she was quite often called away over difficulties with her three-year-old child. The supervisor herself was a reserved woman and laying down the law just wasn't her style. She suspected that her hesitancy with the receptionist was annoying her staff but she knew she ought to take action and tackle the issue with more confidence. So first, she drew up a map. She called it Covering Reception. And here are some of the needs and fears that made it onto the map. The section supervisor herself, her needs were 
customers being handled appropriately, to nurture all the people on her team, including the receptionist, a happy and productive team, and to manage a group effectively and overcome her difficulties with being assertive. And her main fears were losing efficient control of her section, losing respect from her team and from upper management, and she didn't like upsetting the receptionist. The next person she listed was the receptionist. She needed to look after her child, to have an income, and to prove to herself and to others that she could cope. Her fears were losing her job, being unable to respond if a child was sick or if babysitting arrangements had fallen through, and sounding unprofessional to her workmates. Next came the other team members, listed as a group. They needed their section supervisor to steer them out of the problem. They needed to fulfil their own roles without disruption. And they needed to show support, both for the receptionist and for the smooth running of the office. They feared having no choice about covering reception, being unable to carry out their normal duties well enough because of too many interruptions. And they also feared the problem not changing or even getting worse. After doing her own rough map, the supervisor toyed with the idea of doing a clearer one with the whole team. But she'd already come up with some ideas on how the issue could be handled. She decided on a friendly chat with the receptionist first. She'd see if she could help her balance her priorities better, perhaps with some more reliable childcare arrangements. She was also wondering if perhaps management might be willing to turn reception into a job share position that might suit this young mum much better. And if neither of these options worked out, she'd create a reception backup roster for the rest of her staff so that this extra workload would be more fairly shared around. She was now well on the way to addressing everyone's needs and fears much more effectively. What about mapping difficult people? We've quite frequently been asked to facilitate maps where the issue presented was a difficult person. By the way, we really dislike that term. Um, Everybody is somebody's difficult person. We label them difficult because we're having difficulty with them. We have a personality clash often means, I don't know what makes this person tick and my standard methods of dealing with people aren't working here. Behind difficult behaviours are unmet needs or hidden fears, which the person is defending in clumsy and often unaware ways. Mapping opens us up to discovering why they're doing what they're doing and how our behaviour is affecting them. We'll often find that people will act in difficult ways if they feel insecure or they don't know the boundaries. By exploring their needs and ours, we might begin to see how we can make them feel safer or understand their duties more clearly. We might begin to understand what they really need. Perhaps it's to be more included or more visibly respected or to have a clear job outline. By exploring our own needs, we might see that our expectations of the other person have been unrealistic. Could we look for some other ways to meet those needs? 
Focus on discovering needs and fears, theirs and yours around them. And there may be ways of meeting their needs that you hadn't previously thought of, and your map might lead you to some new solutions. You might get a totally different response from them once you do. Perhaps your difficult person is your teenager, and their crankiness might mask their fear that you don't really love them. Respond to that. Perhaps a one-on-one outing with just you and them might show them that they're really special to you and fix some of their general grumpiness at the same time. Map the needs of a fellow worker who's often negative and you might start giving them some positive feedback rather more frequently. Doing a map with the whole team, including this difficult person, can create an amazing shift. It does need to be handled very diplomatically, however, or with the help of an external facilitator. We might realise that we know very little about what this so-called difficult person really needs. And then we're motivated to get more information. Okay, your map is done. You've got all these needs and fears spread out in front of you. What next? You're going to have to make sense of them. So here's how to read your map. Look for these three things. New perspectives, common ground and special concerns. Firstly, look for new perspectives and insights. Once you've drawn up your map, pay attention to individuals' needs and fears that you hadn't thought of before. Mapping helps you see what it's like to be in the other person's shoes, and you usually find some new perspectives on the issue. There'll be factors that weren't obvious to you. Secondly, consider common ground. Pointing it out helps people reunite who felt separated by the conflict. Look for the common ground already present, similar needs or interests that have arisen while the map's been drawn up. Perhaps an important value has been already listed for one person. Consider if it's shared by others. In the map we discussed about staffing the office reception, a happy and productive team is listed by the supervisor. The receptionist and the other team members would realise that that was just as important for them too. That's common ground. And it can help you pull together. You're after values and ideals that can inspire all of you. You might draw up a list of values that you share. Perhaps your organisation already has a statement about vision or mission or purpose. And this might be a good time to discuss how you want to realign with that. If it's appropriate, and it often is, you might build new areas of common ground together. What values and ideals raised by one person can be incorporated into this common vision? For example, in the family, a parent cares about homework being done, while the child probably cares about having fun. And the common vision should contain both homework and fun. Whatever the context you're working in, your united goal includes the individual values of each of the parties. Thirdly, look for special concerns. Can you now see the areas of difficulty that most need attention, somewhere where the flow of information is blocked, for instance, or where access is difficult, or a regulation has an impact? The special concern might be for just one individual, or it might be pressing for more of them, or for the whole group. 
If you're working alone, analyze your new perspectives, your common ground, and any special concerns yourself. And if you've been working on your map in a group, lead the discussion with your mapping participants. You might separately list the points demanding attention or asterisk them on your map. That's how you'll have all the benefits and insights from having done your map first before you jump into building new solutions. Danielle told me about her quick map. She'd become a stepmother to a 10-year-old boy and was keen to be a good mother to him. She thought he should take a shower every night, and he didn't want to. They were clashing over it frequently, and it was interfering with her new relationship. So she started to mentally map the problem. Showering every evening. Whose need is that, she asked herself. And she quickly realised that it was her need, not his. So she talked to him about it, asking him what his needs were. And he said his needs were not to be asked to have a shower every day. She asked him how often he thought he needed to shower. And he reckoned he only needed a shower when he was dirty, which was every few days and always after soccer. She asked him when he thought he would need to shower more often. And he immediately said, as soon as I start to have B.O. So they agreed that when that happened, he would shower every day. Well, when the time came a few years later, he willingly started showering daily. And not long after that, getting him out of the shower became the new challenge. When's a good time to make a map? Maps have now been made all around the world. They've been done by people who can only work alone. Perhaps their issue was just personal. Perhaps they're not able to gather the people involved together. Maps have been done during conflict counsellings and coaching sessions. They've been highly effective in team-building exercises and organisational change processes. And they've often been used as a starting place for mediation or a controversial public meeting. Gives everyone a voice. Mediators and facilitators often commence by guiding their participants through a mapping process because it's relatively non-confrontational, while it still clearly lays out the issues involved for everyone to see. Conflict-resolving consultants are using it regularly as a management tool. And even children seem to understand it very well, and it's great for their conflicts too. It's common sense, it's easy to do, and it's powerful in its result. You can make a map anytime, anywhere, and with anyone. Many a first-class map's been done on a serviette in a restaurant. I did a quick one recently on my iPhone. Just did it in notes with headings for the key people and separate subheadings for each person's needs and fears. It was very handy later in the day when I thought of an extra issue that I wanted to add. I was asking myself the right questions and the right answers kept on coming. Make a map quickly in your own head before starting a new job or living arrangements or planning a holiday with friends or to help you make better deals or agreements any time in a personal or work relationship really. You don't need to have a conflict for mapping. Use it to prevent conflict. 
Maps can be used before drawing up a plan. For example, when a financial cutback is essential, a mapping exercise with all concerned can make a huge difference to implementing the cutbacks and to the attitudes of those who are involved. You can initiate a mapping session in your work, your home, or other group activities that you're involved in. You might just say, let's get a clear picture of the situation before we go any further. Let's hear about everyone's needs and concerns on this issue. At a meeting, you might organise big butcher's paper clipped up on a whiteboard and write with thick pens so everyone can see. Try to use several colours. One colour for the issues, one colour for the party's names, another for needs, another for fears. Instead, if you have access to an electronic whiteboard, use that. Later, you can send the map to everyone. Or you might photograph the completed map and distribute that. You might try one on a group participation app. Conflicting wishes may be best got out in the open by expressing them in terms of needs and fears on a map. For example, two people want the same position, or one neighbour wants an uninterrupted view while the other needs their privacy. We often think that if we have conflicting needs, we need to manoeuvre to our best advantage behind the scenes. However, in most circumstances, I've found that concealing this type of difficulty poses more risks than being frank about it. Laying out and discussing the competing needs will often invite new options to emerge. The process of mapping has many benefits. Mapping structures the conversation and it usually keeps it away from the excesses of emotion. Of course, people can lose their tempers any time, but they do tend to keep them toned down when they're mapping. Instead of pointing at the other person as the issue, they start pointing at the relevant spot on the map, and quite unconsciously, they redirect their energy away from attack. The tone shifts from confrontation towards exploration. Mapping often gives a forum where people can really say what they need and it builds empathy and acknowledges the people who may not feel that they were understood before. It points out new directions. After mapping, conversations nearly always move towards more creative and inclusive solutions. Try a mapping exercise. Make your own map. The best way to teach yourself is to practice. So give one a go. Is there an issue you're dealing with that could be helped by a map? If you can't think easily of an issue, perhaps consider the division of household chores in your home. Are there any problems there? It's a common one in many households. Perhaps yours deserves a map. Here's a summary. Mapping the conflict is about how to lay out a clear picture of the relevant needs and fears of everyone involved in the issue, so that your solutions can be wide-ranging and inclusive. Maps can be done alone, with those involved, or with others who might help with a fresh view. The key is to back off from solutions and explore the needs behind them. Instead of arguing over competing positions, explore what needs and fears are relevant and for whom. Remember, 
Behind difficult behaviours are unmet needs. So step one is label the issue in general terms. Step two is name the parties involved. Might be a mix of individuals and groups. And step three is write down the needs and fears of each person or group that you've listed. You may need to make some guesses about the people that aren't present. What would they say they need? Needs are not solutions. They're what's behind people's positions. Fears can include concerns, anxieties or worries that might well be more hidden. And step four is reading your map. Look for and write down new perspectives, common ground and special concerns. Whenever you need a structure for a difficult conversation, mapping can be your go-to technique. And if you've got an ongoing conflict, do a map. Don't miss this step, even if you have to do it alone. It's going to lay the groundwork for less damage in the relationship and for more inclusive solutions. If you'd like some written reminders on all of this, have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. You can download a transcript and explore our extra study notes on mapping. And if you're very visual like me, you might want to see a sample map before you actually get started. And there's a free manual for trainers there too. And for ongoing reference, you might want to purchase a digital or a hard copy of the book, Everyone Can Win. It's the inspiration for this series. In this episode, we've looked at how you lay down those solid foundations, all the facts, in order to be more creative with your solutions. We'll cover how you design better options in the next episode, so you might want to press your play button for that one sometime soon. Perhaps subscribe to this series wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're liking the series, you could really help us spread the word if you leave us a review there and let your friends know about it too. Good conflict resolution skills might be just what they need right now.